Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you, George. Howdy, everybody. It's good to see y'all. Uh, I want to thank Daniel for leading music this morning. While Chris is out, it's really a blessing. I was up here. I can come up here and talk, and I'm usually not nervous at all, but I was playing my little guitar back there with my amp turned down, and I was so nervous last week. So, so Daniel, thank you. And Keith, it's great to see you on drums. I told him I expect a Rush uh, drum solo, like Neil Peart, you know, like Tom Sawyer. Uh, and I want to say this too, uh, this is a small church where family um, just continue, and you're doing this, but just continue to pray for Gary and Sally. Uh, Gary, if you're, I'm looking at you right now, if you're watching at home, we love you, buddy. Um, Jesus loves you, Gary, know that. We, we really, we want you to just press into him. So keep praying for, for Gary and Sally. All right, this morning, what I'm going to do, I've been, uh, I've been teaching a, a sermon series going through the book of Hebrews. Um, we finished chapter four. I was going to do a one sermon thing today, but I didn't want to start chapter five because we have Easter coming up. So what I decided to do, and I was originally going to do one sermon on this, but I'm actually going to make it into two now. I always end up doing that. But what I'm going to be talking about today is handing down the faith, passing along the faith to the next generation, to our kids. Um, this is a huge burden for me. This is very personal, personal for me. Uh, I'll give you a warning up front. I'm probably going to get emotional today, so <laughs> that's just the way I am. I'm not going to apologize for it. That's just the way I am. But my burden is, is this. Uh, for, for young people, the, the stats I've seen over and over again, and I don't think it's going to happen in this church, okay, because the type of church and, and the type of people that, that are part of a church matters. But anyway, the, the stats are something like this, and you've seen this from Lifeway. I've seen it from Barna Research. It's something like this, about two-thirds of kids raised in church, by the time they're in their 20s, leave the church, okay? Two-thirds. That is gut-wrenching to me. That breaks my heart. And, um, and, and for those kids who leave, most of them never return. And so that, I don't want us to be like that, and I want us to do what we can to prevent it. Uh, I have a tremendous burden for young people. So you think about, so you think about 10 years. I was thinking about this this week. 10 years, if you're in your whatever, 40s, 50s, 60s, older, 10 years, 20, 2012, 10 years ago, that was not ancient history. That's a short period of time, 10 years. And yet the kids today, my kids are 17 to 22. 10 years ago, they were 7 to 12. In 10 more years, they're going to be 27 to 32. In a very short period of time. The kids today who are, say, 8 to 18, in 10 years they're going to be 18 to 28. So this is, a, this is very quick. Parents, when you got little ones, treasure that time because you're going to blink and they're going to be, you're going to be looking at them and they're going to be in their 20s. So we have a short amount of time, really, while our kids are in the home. And I have a, like I said, I just have a tremendous burden for young people to do what we can to keep pressing them into Jesus Christ and serving the Lord and serving in the church, okay? So here's the question I've been thinking of is when, 
when you look at the kids who have remained faithful to Christ and remained faithful in the church, in their 20s and beyond, they remain faithful. What are the characteristics of parents and churches for that group of kids? What are the characters? What are the common denominators? That's what I've been thinking about. And let me just, I'm a lawyer, so I'm going to give you a bunch of disclaimers when I do give the sermon. Uh, I'm no expert at all. Don't think of myself as some expert. Don't think of my wife as an expert. Andy and I are not perfect parents. We, I told the brothers yesterday, I feel like 90% of the time as a parent, I have no idea what I'm doing. Honestly, honestly. If you're a parent and you've been doing this for a while, a lot of times you feel absolutely clueless. And that's the way we are. But as a pastor and a dad, I've thought about these issues and I've studied these issues for more than 25 years. This has been on my heart for more than a quarter of a century. And so I would say this too, today's sermon is geared toward parents with kids in the homes. I'm looking at you young kids. It's geared toward parents with kids in the homes, but I'm still hoping it will be helpful for all of us, okay? And I hope, and I hope is this, that it will spur conversations. It will cause some conversations and maybe some, some apologies, maybe even older parents who have kids out of the homes. I really want this to stir some conversations about this. My timing, I thought about this too, my timing may not be the best because we got a number of families with kids who are on spring break. So but that's just the way it goes. So I'm hoping maybe they'll watch the video and think about it. So this will be part one, and then the next part of this series will be the Sunday after Easter, Lord willing. Okay, I want to say this too. Older parents, older parents, if your kids are out of the house and they're grown, and if your kids have walked away from the Lord and from the church after they left home, And maybe you realize, like all of us do, that you messed up as a parent. I would just talk to older parents this way. Don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. You can't change the past. All you can do is start where you are right now and go forward. And also, also, there is never a time to lose hope, right? If you're, I don't care, as long as your kids are alive, there's never a time to lose hope. You can have conversations, you can pray. You can, you can continuously seek the Lord to change hearts if you have kids who have walk, walked away from the Lord. So never try and stop trying to bring up God-honoring conversations with your adult kids. Um, all right, I'm, I'm kind of just doing kind of a scattershot thing. I'm just kind of doing one point after another. This was a surprising truth to me as a young dad, when I was a young Christian. What I found is the Bible actually does not have a lot to say about parenting. If you were to read the, the Bible from front to back, you're not going to find hundreds of pages of instruction manual on being a parent. And that was a surprise to me because as a young dad, I wanted rules. I wanted instructions. There are things in scriptures like, like Ten Commandments, right? Exodus twenty twelve, honor your father and your mother. That has to do with family. There, there's a lot of wisdom. And I would, young parents, old parents, I'd encourage you to read the book of Proverbs 20 times. Because in Proverbs, there's just massive wisdom, especially for parents. So it'll be things like this. This is the very beginning of Proverbs, Proverbs 1.8. It's talking to sons. Hear my son or hear my daughter. Hear your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. So that type of wisdom and teaching is found in Proverbs. This is, I'll give you another one. This is from Ephesians 6.4. It says, fathers, and it also applies to mothers, do not provoke your children to anger. And we're going to talk, some, we're going to touch on that today but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
Okay? So there are things in Scripture about parenting and about family relationships. But really, considering the size of the Bible, there aren't a lot of passages on parenting. As I said, there, there's not a lot of techniques and rules on parenting. And like I said, I wanted rules as a young dad. But I think God doesn't give us a bunch of rules and methods and techniques because rules and techniques tend to focus on external behavior. They tend to focus on external ways that we behave. And young parents, and this is the way we were too, young parents have a tendency to focus more on sort of external behavior. That's not bad. We need to, we, our kids need to behave in a way. But the problem is if there's a, too, much, too much of a focus on externals, you get what Jesus warned the Pharisees about. This is Matthew 23, 27, and 28. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful. Outwardly, there's just this beauty. But Jesus said, But within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So he said, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So we like rules and methods and techniques, but there's a tendency to focus too much on external behavior. And here's the truth. God wants our hearts. God wants our kids' hearts. Okay? That, that's where it needs to change. And heart change can't come through rules and techniques. Heart change can only come through the work of the Holy Spirit working in someone's life. The Holy Spirit applying the word of God to our hearts to change our lives. And what that means is for parents, older parents, younger parents, one of the most important things that we can do for our kids is pray. Be in tight fellowship with the Lord and pray and cry out to him. Okay? The other thing we can do, I'm going to talk more about this next time, is talk about the Lord Allow his word to be in our mouths in conversations with our kids. All right, next thing. And this is a hard reality too. But the fact is there is no guarantee that our kids will be followers of Jesus. I don't care what you do. There is just absolutely no guarantee for this. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs 22. Look at Proverbs 22. This is a famous passage. Many of you will know this. Proverbs chapter 22, and we're going to be looking at verse 6. And I want to address this issue about, about the fact that there's no guarantee that our kids are going to be faithful. Proverbs 22, 6, it says this. And this sounds like a promise, doesn't it? Listen to it. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So it's saying train up a child in the way. And oftentimes the way is talking about the way of following God, following Jesus, this pathway. Life is a path, right? Life is a journey, like Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan, right? It's a, it's a path toward God. So train up a child in the way he should go, way following God. Even when he was old, he will not depart from it. That sounds like a promise, but the thing is, when you study scripture, one of the things you need to know is the type of literature that this is. And Proverbs is what is called wisdom literature. You find this in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the New Testament parts of the book of James. And wisdom literature is this. It's just basically describing how the world works that God has created. Just generally the way things work. And generally what we see is that 
Oftentimes, when kids are raised in a home, when they are taught to follow the way of God, many times when they're old, they don't depart from it. They, they follow in that way. But this is not a covenant promise. This is not a covenant promise that if you do certain things, then your kids are going to be saved. And you can tell that from the context, if you look at Proverbs 22, 4, there's another wisdom literature statement. It says, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Okay? Does that mean that every single person in history who's humble and has a fear of the Lord is wealthy and has honor in life? No. These are just generally, if you follow the way of the Lord and you're humble, you you have enough to eat. You're not starving. You're taken care of. You have a place to live. Okay? So Proverbs is just general wisdom literature, but God does not give us these covenant promises that our kids are going to be saved. This is also important. God is absolutely sovereign over our kids' salvation. God is sovereign over our children's salvation. We can't save our kids. Only God can. But God often uses means. He, he uses faithful parents. He uses churches. Okay? And the way I think of it is like this. Kids, are, kids hearts are like soil. God is the only one who can bring about miraculous spiritual life. He's the only one who can give life. But as parents and as a church, we want to make the, the heart of the, the soil of the kids' hearts fertile so that when the implanted seed of the Word of God goes in their hearts, we want to do what we can to, to water and, and allow that to grow. But only God is the one who can give the growth. But we can do things to allow the soil of their hearts to be fertile, okay? So we have a responsibility. God uses means like parents and churches, but we can't give life and ultimately, we can't give growth, okay? All right, so this is, this, again, this is the thought I've been, been having is there have been lots of studies about this, as I said, for kids who grow up in the church and stay committed. What are the most important factors for, for, for this? What are the common denominators? Um, well, let me show you. I'm going to show you a book that, that I would not recommend getting, but I just wanted to give you a heads up on it. This is called Handy Down the Faith, and that's the title of my sermon. This is by a sociologist, a couple of sociologists who've been looking at how faith is handed down. Don't get the book. It's incredibly boring. Don't, don't read it. I, for, for a living, I read, uh, I read br- legal briefs on Fair Credit Reporting Act and Fair Credit Debt Collection Practices Act. Those are more exciting than that book, honestly. Okay? So don't get the book. I can, I'm going to tell you what is in the book and then this sermon and the next one. Because uh, you get into sociological studies, they're brutal. But anyway, um, what they have found and what I've seen over and over again is this. The things that, that are the determining factors. First, the things that are not the determining factors, okay? These are the things that are not determining that we may think. One, it's not the type of education that a kid gets. It's, it's, not, it's not that you look at, like, homeschool or Christian school or public school and say, yep, Every one of these kids, or this is a huge determining factor. It's not. It's not. Now, does that mean education is not important? No, education is huge. Education is incredibly important. But as far as kids following the faith, that is not the determining factor. The determining factor is also not church programs, not children's ministry or youth ministry. Again, those things are incredibly important, and I want to talk about and think about what we can do as a church. But those are not the determining factor. You know what the most important factor is? It's parents. It's parents. That is the most important factor. And what's interesting is just throughout history, this is a weird, just an odd thing, that up until about the 60s, 
Parents and children generally got along together pretty well. It was a big influence. In the 60s, for some reason, there was like all this fighting between generations. And here's the weird thing too. Since then, the parents and kids have gotten along pretty well together. So it was just that odd little time when it didn't happen. But, but anyway, parents are the most important factor for passing along the, the faith. Um, and parents of faithful kids do two things, do two things really well, oftentimes. And we're going to talk about the, the first one we're going to talk about next sermon. And the first one is this. They talk about their faith regularly. Okay? That's what we're gonna, I'm going to talk about after Easter. They talk about their faith regularly. I'm not going to have us look at it, but Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7 say, talk about the word of God when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. The the word of God, speaking about the Lord, that should be in our mouths as parents. And as I said, we'll talk about that in the sermon after Easter. So that's the first one. They talk about their faith regularly. The second one is this. Parents of of kids who retain the faith... They have a certain parenting style, okay? And what I found is, this is a, in my view, this is a biblical parenting style. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you four parenting styles that they found in the, uh, that they classify in the sociological study. Uh, I'm going to give you four of them. The first three are not all that helpful for passing down the faith, okay? I just want you to think about maybe the way you parent or your parents or friends or whatever, so the first three are not helpful in passing down the faith. The first one is this, disinterested. Basically this, parents lack discipline in the home, it lacks order. There's little parent parental involvement with their kids. So parents kind of do their own thing, kids kind of do their own thing. That is not effective in handing down the faith. The disinterested. Second one is this, permissive. These parents are involved with the kids. They love their kids, they're affectionate, but... There is a lack of discipline and a lack of order. They permit their kids to do a lot. They kind of allow their kids to do largely whatever they want. Okay? So there's love and affection, but there's not a lot of discipline and order. That's also not the most effective way to hand down the faith. The third one that is not the most effective is called authoritarian. And it's this. These parents, not, not doubting whether they love their kids, but they discipline their kids is good they have high expectations but there's not a lot of affection the parents tend to be rigid harsh and critical they often again they often lack affection the conversations between parents and kids even as they get older tend to be one way from parents to kids there's not a lot of interaction and kids speaking okay so that's authoritarian The final one, the best one, which I think is the biblical parenting style, is what they call authoritative. And what that means is this. The the parents discipline their kids, like you read in the book of Proverbs. They discipline the kids. Their families had order and structure. The parents had high expectations for their kids, which is awesome, which is needed. Also, they were very involved with their kids. They were very affectionate with their kids. I'm not saying that any of these parents don't love Because everybody, I think everybody, most people love their kids. But whether there's affection, that's a huge one. And so this one, this authoritative, there's a lot of affection, a lot of parents listening, and a lot of two-way conversations. A lot of times, if you watch this type of family, the parents, especially as the kids get older, the parents are asking questions and the parents are listening a lot to the kids. Okay? So as I said, that, that's authoritative style, and that is by far what the studies show is that is by far the most effective way to hand down the faith. 
And that is, in my view, biblical parenting. We're going to look at that. See, see, authoritative parents, these godly parents, they exercise discipline over their kids. Like Proverbs, this is Proverbs 29, 17. It says this, discipline your son or discipline your daughter and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. So these types of parents, authoritative parents, they disciplined their kids. They also displayed wisdom in their relationships with their kids. Also, this was huge. These authoritative parents displayed the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm going to ask you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, okay? So this is, if we have a sermon text, I know David Cannon's kind of ragged on me about how we don't do a lot of topical stuff. Uh, this is a topical sermon, and, uh, and, and, but if you got a sermon text, it would be this. And, and the, odd thing, the odd thing is this. For, for me, the most effective way for parents to pass down their faith to their kids is by living and displaying the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Honestly, I think that is the key to it. It's not specifically for parenting, but it is, it is the, in my view, again, the key. So look at, at uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And think about this, just because a lot of times we say these words and we just go over them real fast. You know, love, joy, peace, we kind of do that. But think about the words, okay? But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says, against such things there is no law. When mom and dad have a heart devoted to Jesus Christ, and when mom and dad are committed to the church, and when mom and dad are displaying the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and their marriage and family are producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, when this happens, the fact is, when this happens, kids often remain committed to Christ and his church when they grow up. And it makes sense. It makes sense because when mom and dad are living lives of love and when the family environment is one filled with love and mom and dad's marriage is one of love, and I've seen this over and over again, when kids see that, they want it. They want it for themselves. But when homes are filled with bitterness and anger, and yelling, and self-centeredness, and snarky comments, when homes are not filled with joy, and when parents are criticizing each other, and when parents are hypercritical of kids, constantly getting on to them, when parents are snarky, and sarcastic, and critical, constantly moaning, and groaning, complaining, I know you ladies have been talking about that in your Philippians study, when all that happens, and when there's a lack of affection toward the kids, when there's harshness, and when parents and kids never ask for forgiveness from one another, when that's the type of homes kids grow up in, they often think to themselves, these kids say, if this is what a Christian home looks like, then I, I'm not interested. Count me out. And that's a hard truth, right? Because all of us fight and bicker and complain, don't we? Every single one of us. And if you're not doing it, you're, if you're not acknowledging that, you're lying. All of us have this in our homes, okay? We all, none of us are perfect. We all fight and bicker and complain and do all these things. We all get angry and we all do these things. But is the general course of your home one of joy in Jesus Christ? Is it one of love? That's what I would ask. 
That's why this is not just for parents. This is for all of us, right? This is for all of us. So when a home is, when a Christian home is a happy home, when it's a home filled with joy, joy in Christ, I'm not talking about just joy in things going right for you, in circumstances. I'm talking about an abiding joy in being close to Jesus. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm saying generally, if the home is a happy and safe place, and when the home is generally a home of peace, and the parents are modeling, to the best we can, modeling patience and kindness, right? we all get angry. If, you had, if you've seen me yell at my kids sometimes, you would be shocked. I'm not even going to yell the way I yelled at my kids sometimes. Because it would scare you. Okay. But generally, is the, our lives, our marriages, our family, is it one that is displaying the fruit of the Spirit? And, and when we lose it sometimes, when we get angry, do moms and dads and kids ask for forgiveness in the house? I'll tell you this, we, we've done a lot of things wrong, but one of the things my wife and I have done that I'm so thankful for is, and it's usually me, I'm usually the guy, but when, when I sinned against Andy or the kids, here's, here was what I would do, and I told this to the brothers yesterday morning. I'd gather the whole family together. I'd say, let's all gather together. And I would apologize to Andy or to one of my boys or Shelby, I would apologize in front of the entire family. And I would say, say the word. They would have to respond. I would say, will you forgive me? And they would have to say yes or no. And then after that, I apologized to them. Then I'd apologize to the entire family for sinning against this one. And when I did that, then we would pray together. And that was our practice. And I'm so glad that we did that. I'm so thankful that we did that. And, and my wife has taught me this better than anyone I've ever known in my life. We don't hold grudges. After you forgive, that's it. It's forgiven. You don't bring it up in somebody's face again. You, know, you always do that or you, here you go again. No, we don't do that. You, you, you let it go. You've forgiven. That means it's buried. You don't bring it up again. As I said, my wife has taught me this better than anybody I've ever known. So when kids see this, right, we would not let, as Ephesians 4.26 says, we wouldn't let the sun go down on our anger. And sometimes we were very angry at one another, but to the extent we could, we forgave and we loved each other and we prayed. And my observation is this, when there is love in the home and joy and when there is gentleness and self-control and goodness and forgiveness, there's real forgiveness when family members are extending grace to one another and forgiving one another. When that happens, when, when kids live in this type of environment, here's what happens. Often, they love it. They don't even know it, but they love it. And, and what you'll see, too, is when the kids get older, they look for it in their friends. I am, I am overwhelmed with gratitude. Part of the reason I'm emotional today is I'm just... I'm very grateful, as I've been thinking about this, in, in my own family and in families I've seen in you guys. I'm grateful that when I would, our kids would bring their friends home, and they're just kind kids, because our kids have looked for that, and they've seen it, and they've recognized it, and they gravitate toward those type of kids. They find loving and kind friends. We don't have to tell them to do that. They just do that because they've grown up in this. And when, and when kids want their marriages to be like their parents, when this happens, 
And when the kids see that their parents have an intimate, loving relationship with Jesus, and they see moms and dads trying to serve others in the church, when this happens, those kids often see what they're seeing is the reality of God in the lives of their family. They're seeing that God is real. They're seeing that Jesus is real, and they want it. Again, it's not a guarantee, but generally the course of what I've seen is is real. They see the reality of Jesus Christ working in their family. They see the beauty of Jesus Christ in their home, and they want that for themselves. And they often want to live for him. I'm going to brag on my kids. I'm probably going to embarrass my kids, and I apologize, guys, if I'm going to embarrass you too much. But my wife and I often hear our kids talking to each other on the phone. Three of them are off to college now, but we hear them talking on the phone, and oftentimes they end the conversation this way. I love you, or we're on the other end. I love you too. It's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. As I said, in the sermon after Easter, we'll discuss the importance of talking about our faith in the homes, because that's huge. That's huge. But this week, I do want to give a few practical instructions, okay? So besides fruit of the Spirit, especially love, what's important for passing along the faith? I'm going to give you three things, all right? These are practical things. Number one, having dinner together. Families sitting down and having dinner together four to five times per week. That seems to be a magic number. If you can do it five times, I know some of you guys travel. I know some of we have activities and kids, and that's wonderful. But if you can have four to five times where you have dinner as a family together, it is huge. This was the most important thing for our family. We did, I, we, I did not do a good job of doing like Bible study and sitting down and studying a path. I did not do a good job on that. But by God's grace, what we did do a good job of, we had supper together almost every night. And we talked about the faith. And we talked about articles I'd read. And we talked about family decisions and buying a car or just struggles we had or whatever. And again, I'll talk about that in the next sermon, but having dinner together four to five times a week is huge, okay? That's number one. Number two, one of the factors about kids staying in the faith, kids serving in ministry with their parents in the church, kids serving, even if it's a little stuff. I had some of the girls and guys handing out little bulletins this morning, okay? It was awesome. They were excited to do it. Thank you guys for doing that. But kids having responsibility in ministry. Taking, going with mom to take a meal to a family or participating in a prayer meeting or Bible study. I've seen that happening. Serving in the church together in, in one way. And so I want to ask our leaders, especially, and, and parents, children leader, youth leader, to, let's get on this and think about how we can get our, church, our kids serving more in the church from an early age. Really, let's, let's think about that and talk about it in, in our church. It's huge. Whether it's kids playing in the orchestra when they get up in high school, if they're playing a musical instrument, or as I said, even handing out church bulletins, little things, serving in VBS, helping with media sound stuff. Uh, I know we're having uh, some of the older girls serving in the nursery, which is going to be awesome. It's, it's fantastic. So because when kids serve, they often stay faithful in the church. They really like they're participating with the family of God. So I want us to get really a lot better on that. All right, so that's number two. Number three is this, the final one, practical stuff. Kids that remain faithful as young adults often have at least one adult Christian friend who remains close to them as they grew up. As the kids grew up, they, have, they develop a friendship in the church, and they have one adult Christian friend at least outside of their parents 
who they just stay friends with the rest of their life. That is a huge factor for us, okay? So we need that. That was a key. So these three factors, dinner with family four to five times a week, serving with their family's ministry in the church, and having at least one close Christian adult friend. These were huge in in allowing kids to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. So as as I said, as a church, I want to promote this. Greg talked about the book. Uh, Let's see if I have it down. I guess I don't have it. Yeah, I do. We're going to have a book discussion at the beginning of May. It's called Faith for Exiles, if you're interested. It's not a perfect book, but it's a good book, and I think it'll get us discussing these things. So if you're interested, I'd encourage you to get the book, and let's talk about it at the beginning of May when we have one of our book discussions, okay? So parents, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close with kind of a, a just a, as a reminder and as an encouragement, we all feel like failures at times in parenting. I don't want this sermon to feel like a hammer's been beat over your head because all of us are imperfect. All of us fail. And kids, I'll address you. You know what? Your parents really don't know what they're doing most of the time as parents. I'm just going to be, that's just honest, okay? None of us do. We're, we're trying our best. By God's grace, we're trying. But most of us have no idea what, you're, what we're doing. And kids, you know what? When you grow up and have kids, you have no idea what you're going to do either, okay? This is the way it goes. So kids, love your parents, honor and respect them, and give them grace, okay? And young people understand this too. Your faith has to be your own. Your faith has You have to press into Jesus Christ yourself. You know that? You, your parents can't do it for you. They can, they can encourage. They can make you sit down, but they can't make you... Draw near to the Lord Jesus. You have to do that yourself. And you've got to decide whether you're going to do that. I'm looking at a lot of you right now. And, and kids, y'all are wonderful. I was able to spend time this week at one of your schools. Friday there was a game night. I love you kids. Y'all are just wonderful kids. I'm so thankful for you. Okay? But the, your faith has to be your own. You've got to press into the Lord and spend time with him and his word. And listen to music and pray into him. Okay? So it's got to be your own. And parents... And all of us, I would just say this, let's truly prioritize our relationship with Jesus Christ. Make the Lord number one in your life. That really, you do that, a lot of things just kind of fall into place. You, you, you make Jesus center, you, you serve in the church, a lot of things just kind of fall into place. And it's beautiful. So spend time with the Lord. Draw near to him. Don't rush into it. I, I feel like having a whole sermon on quiet time. But don't rush in. Just go in and, and hear the Lord speak through his word. You can listen to great praise music or whatever. But have times where you're speaking with him and intimate with him. And a lot of things will just fall into place. So strive to prioritize your relationship with Christ. And then finally, I'm going I'm to say this. 1 Peter 4.8 says this. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. We're all going to mess up big time as parents. But if your kids know, if your kids know you love them, if your kids know that they are secure in your love and they experience your affection on a regular basis, this will cover a lot of sins. I'm going to leave you this with this from a story from a pastor. And he acknowledges that he was probably more of the different styles, more authoritarian, more rigid and disciplined, okay, and more sheltering and kind of overly critical. And you'll see that in what he says. But I just want to emphasize the importance of really showing affection to our kids. He says this. 
He said, when my oldest son was almost 16, we let him get his first job washing dishes at a restaurant managed by a Christian friend of ours. He said, we knew we couldn't shelter him forever, and so we finally concluded that he was old enough to send into the world two nights a week. What we didn't realize was that he would be working with drug-using partiers, and our Christian friend was never scheduled to work with our son. Within a month, it became apparent that our son's co-workers were having an effect on him. He came home one evening and asked, Dad, can I dye my hair blue? After my wife was finally able to peel me off the ceiling, he said, I laid into him, reminding him whose son he was and that I would not have people at church telling their children not to be like the pastor's son. He said, I, I explained that, that just because he wanted to use washable diet didn't make, any di- didn't make me any happier. And then he, no- he says this, note that my intense reaction had to do with outward appearances and, and the impact on me, he said, okay? He said, two months later, our son came home from work and asked if he could pierce his ear. Again, my wife had to peel me off the ceiling. He thought it might be okay since he wanted a cross earring, like I was supposed to be happy because it would be a sanctified piercing. He said, and by the way, I don't care about piercings or tattoos or dyed hair, just me personally, okay? But anyway... Uh, he said, if that wasn't enough, he also wanted to get a tattoo, but it, but it was going to be okay because it was going to be a Christian tattoo. Now, this is a very rigid family. Needless to say, my mind was absolutely blown. I thought I had raised him better than this. I would never have guessed that his values could change so quickly or so severely. To our relief, he eventually volunteered to quit the job. He said, one day, several years later, I was looking back and evaluating our approach to sheltering our kids. Something my son said shortly after he started his job kept coming back to me. When I picked him up the second night of work, he got in the car with a big smile on his face and said, Dad, they like me. He said, he said, uh, as I dwelt on that comment, it suddenly became clear to me. My son had finally met someone who liked him for who he was. Few others in his entire life had shown him much acceptance, especially not his mother and I. He says, it is no exaggeration. In our efforts to shape and improve our son, all we did was find fault with everything he did. We loved him dearly. But he constantly heard from us that what he did and who he was wasn't good enough. He, he craved our approval, but we, but we could not be pleased. Years later, I realized he had given up trying to please us when he was 14, and from then on, he was just patronizing us. The reason our son wanted to adorn himself like his co-workers was because they accepted him for who he was. He wanted to fit in with those who made him feel significant. He wanted to be like those who gave him a sense of identity. We had sent our son into the world insecure in who he was. He went into the world with a hole in his heart that God had wanted to fill through his parents. He says, I have since observed observed that what best equips children to handle the pressures of the world is security in who they are. Whether believer or unbeliever, those young people who are least tempted to follow the crowd are those who are secure in themselves and don't need the approval of others. 
The Bible calls this insecurity the fear of man. It's allowing others' opinions of us to affect our values and choices. At the very least, if we want to prepare our children to stand tall in the world, we need to help them find security in their relationship with us and, more importantly, with God through Jesus Christ. So that's what I'm going to close with. Parents, yes. I'm big, as I said, I'm big on education. We need to strive to teach our kids the faith. We need to do that, and we're going to talk about that. We need to protect our kids and discipline our kids. We need to do that. We need to constantly point them to Jesus Christ. And we also need to be parents who constantly shower our kids with love and affection for their good and for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we love you. Uh, thank you for thank you for that verse on the fruit of the Spirit. I do pray, especially for our young parents, that that we that they would be people who really are seeking to bring honor to you by displaying the fruit of the Spirit. That that and Lord that. In families, I know that there are going to be some families and marriages who are going to hear this and who are going to be hurting. I pray that you don't allow them to just feel condemnation. I do want them to change and, and lean into you and seek to, to, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, to be transformed by your spirit. Allow us to be people who are loving, display the fruit of the spirit, and joyful. Allow our homes to be Happy homes of forgiveness, Lord. That's what I want. And most of all, Lord, I pray for these young kids. I pray that they're awesome. Every kid in here, I'm just so thankful for. I'm just so impressed in this world that wants to tear them up. I see so many kids who are just, even now, who are just happy in in you, Jesus. And, And I'm just so impressed with these kids. So we pray for them. We do pray that that our families, all of us, would really draw near to each other and near to you, that we would do things like have dinner together and have conversations about you. Help us, help help me and help our elders and our our leaders to to help our families talk about the faith. We're going to do that in future weeks, but help us in that, Lord. But really, I do pray that we would examine our hearts and just be people of love who, who, first of all, love you, Lord, who are serious about our relationship with you, and that would just overflow in love for our kids, love for our spouses, love for the church, love for our neighbors. And our kids would see that, and they would say, yeah, that's what I want. I want my marriage to be like mom and dad's. I want my family to be like this. Let them see that, Lord. So we love you. Thank you, Lord, for being here with us. You're so awesome. Jesus, Holy Spirit, you're so awesome. Thank you. And uh, just grow us and transform us into the people you want us to be. Thank you for these people here. I love them. I love my church. Thank you, for, thank you, Lord, for the way that people in here and people listening at home have affected my kids, have, have spoken truth and, and loved on my kids. It's just been massive. And I'm so grateful, Lord. We are so grateful. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.